citizens of Mega City One to your favorite, favorite, the best movie podcast out there. Not a bomb. I'm one of your hosts, Mr. Troy. Across the aisle from me is my bestest friend, my bestest movie friend, Brad Anderson. How are you doing tonight, Brad? Doing great. And I actually was a judge because one of the characters' names is Anderson. So. Yes, Judge Anderson. Yeah. You should have led with that. Now I feel lame. Like I feel uh, like you know. we should just redo this whole intro. Yep. Start it all over. But as we said, I don't know how many episodes. Get through the <laughs> intro. We're actually pretty good. This part sucks. Um, <laughs> however, this is a cool episode because we, we kind of reached out. And um, one of the things that uh, Brad and I do on a consistent basis is talk movies. But we're not the only ones that talk back and forth. We actually have a pretty good group. Um, that text on a regular basis and talk all things movies, uh, any genre, etc. And so um, we had so much fun when we had John on the show talking about Remo Williams. We thought, hey, let's bring another person onto the show to talk about this week's pick. Um, and this week we are, if you haven't guessed already, going to talk about 2012, um, the, the fantastic action film Dread, directed by Pete Travis. Um, so we thought, hey, who of the people that we hang with, our circle of friends, is an action guru? And we know that um, our good friend, Brett Saxton, is probably the, I, I mean, this guy knows all thing action movies. Would you agree, Brad? I would agree. If, if I need someone to come in and break someone's arm in an action fight scene, it would be Brett. Yeah, and just to describe everybody, I, I mean, if you don't know Brett and, and you've never seen him in person... He is a cross between Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, and Carrot Top. <laughs> so, um, uh, hey Brett, welcome to the show, man. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know what to say or, or, or how to match that introduction. Um, thanks so much for having me. I'm pumped. Uh, Troy, congratulations on your daughter's softball tournament. Brad, congratulations on just being you. I am. Yeah, hey, uh, thanks. Yeah, I'm pumped, guys. I'm ready to get this. I'm ready to get this thing going. Um, thanks, man. Yeah, she she had a it five days, five days, um, couple games every day in 102 degree heat index weather, uh, traveling all over Maryland. So with the uh, whole pandemic thing, they you couldn't play at one complex. So this is nationals, and so they split you up, and you're like, oh, 15 minutes to this field, an hour to that field, etc. Uh, went undefeated into the finals and um, came out second, but she did get a nationals ring. So, yeah, there's me bragging cool. about bragging about my daughter, Angel. Yeah. She's awesome. Um, Such a good dad. Thank you, man. Um, so, hey, but oh, listen, before we get into this week, there is one thing I wanted to do, and it actually has to do with last week's podcast. So, Brad, what what did we talk about last week? We talked about the uh, not so action filled action movie uh lax action hero yes and only a few episodes in and we find out that uh, we both agreed it was a bomb but i i've got something to redeem the whole experience Uh oh because i this topic came up on remo williams and um i was bragging and even showing john and brad like uh the novelization right so there that was a big deal especially in the 80s you know because uh, if you wanted to relive the film um, you didn't have streaming, you know, maybe it was VHS, but the cool kids all had the novelization. So I thought, oh man, Remo Williams is the best novelization. There's got to be one out there for Last Action Hero. And guess what I found, Brad? 
Did you find the novelization of Last Action Hero? Boom for you, buddy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I picked it up. No, this and what's even better about this, you don't get it just yet because I actually kind of want to read it. Right? Oh. Just to see how close it is. So I'll send it to you, you know, in a few okay. days. But what's cool is this thing is just tore up. So all right, it's, Someone, it's not pristine. It's not like my Arena uh, Williams one, okay? Uh, so I don't know who bought this, but you can you can see the little you know corners hey, torn. But someone loved it. The words are fine. There's some pages that are torn, but they're not torn out. That's that's the perfect thing. Um, however, inside the cover, right? Uh, somebody wrote, Alex Sayasit's property. You read, you die. That's what's in there, right? Wow. Is this like the ring? Like, am I going <laughs> to die in seven days after reading this book? I don't know. We'll find out. I'm going to read it first, okay. and we'll okay, find so. out. But, um, Alex, if you're listening, um, Brad we and I are going to read your property, so you can <laughs> suck it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, this this is coming your way in the mail, Brad, um, after I peruse these uh, definitely worn pages of the novelization of Last Action Hero. And awesome! I'm. Says a I don't novel know what to by say. Robert Tyne based upon the motion picture. So this this would be great. So Brett, would you agree that Troy is literally the nicest guy in the world? Yeah, I would. I would say that. Yeah, I, and he just you know always comes through. Se- second, I thought we had an agreement. Oh yeah, second nicest. Yeah, guy. well, that guy's going down. <laughs> okay. It, this is Alex guy. He's definitely going down. And Alex, if you are listening, if you have a problem with reading our book, just find me in Baltimore. We'll uh, we'll we'll go toe to toe, bud. So Brett, no more on you, Brett. We're excited to have you, but um, we we were talking before the show, and we said, hey, have you listened to the to the podcast before? You're like, yeah, a little bit here and there. So that that means a lot to us. It means you haven't really committed to our friendship. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay, yeah, Brett. Yeah. Been busy. I was um, in Chicago all weekend. I was planning. There, man. So I've been out for like five weeks, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to dive into it this weekend. Oh. I, yeah. I ended up taking my wife to Chicago just to get away, change the scenery, social distancing, of course, all of that. But before we go any further, I've just had this pressing question since you guys introed me. Am I pre Jim Carrot Top or after he got jacked? That's the one you're talking about, right, Troy? Post. Yeah, well, it's. it's Post gym yeah. carrot top. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's HGH carrot top. Okay. I'll take it. Okay. Yeah, anyway, you, you kind of have you have Arnold Schwarzenegger's like um, mannerisms, right? Okay. You have Sylvester <laughs> okay. Stallone's um, I don't know how you say it, like speech impediment. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carrot top's physical post workout no, his yeah. physique. Okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna go with Carl Urban. Okay. Wow. Like, okay, Car- Carl on. Urban meets carrot top. Man, that's the most offensive thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I, just, I, I didn't want to stop him halfway through. He was, he was just rolling. Well, hey, look, th- this is this is the great thing about it. So, because you didn't listen to our episode with Remo Williams and um, our our guest John, you don't know this segment of the show. So, one of the things Brad and I um, decided to do was, for the couple of people, I think we're up to like four. I don't know who have actually listened from episode <laughs> one or even, you know, 10 years ago when we were doing movie matchup, um, they, they might know us a little bit, but, uh, they, you know, our four listeners don't know you, Brett. So okay. we, we kind of did a lot of research and we said, you know, what would be cool is come up with a list of questions that we can start out with and ask you 
And as a result of that, the the audience might get to know you a little bit better before we go in and talk to it. Because, you, you know, we got we to gotta find out where you come from, get your views on things. So when yeah. you make comments about the films and everything, you know, we, we have a level set, right? Yeah. Who is right. your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's, not, let's not, do it. Not that person. Okay, so there's five questions. It's it's not, you know, um, it's not too intense. But I'm going to start with the first one. Is that okay, Brad? Me? Yes. No, I'm going. Oh, yeah, that's great. All right, no. here we go. So, Brett, for you. Yes. First question. What is your favorite film from your least favorite genre? Ooh. Favorite film from my least favorite genre. Yeah, and you just got to go with your gut instinct. Yeah, man, so... Um, think of it as a psychology test. Yeah, so my least favorite genre would definitely be romantic films. Okay. Just, I, I, never, like I never I got into them. And I think my yeah. least... My favorite romantic film would have to be... Is it... It just is it incredibly cliche to say the Notebook? The Notebook? Yeah. Oh just, my God. <laughs> on the Notebook? On the spot? Yeah, I mean, in terms of you're, a you're movie, with my, sit there my favorite act, one of my favorite actors, and and how can you not love Rachel McAdams? I 100% agree with that answer, and I am 100% on board. I don't know. Okay, that is the wrong answer from both of you, but. <laughs> Brad and I are going to have a romantic viewing <laughs> uh, of a the Notebook with, at some point the, in time. The Brad and Brett podcast <laughs> with romantic film, like The Notebook. So, what? where we re- we review The Notebook one minute at a time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that derailed quickly. Um, uh-huh. On to the next question. That's okay. We'll give you that one. That was good. See, now everybody knows a little bit more about your film. Yeah. Case, okay. Right? Okay. All right. Second question. A penguin walks through that door behind you right now, wearing a sombrero. What does he say, and why is he there? <laughs> um, God, I was trying to think of a great Danny DeVito quote, and I just drew a blank. <laughs> Damn it. I wish you guys would have sent me these questions beforehand. No, no this he, is the whole point. I'll tell you, actually, funny story. I'm in my basement right now. And mm-hmm. it is so cold. The penguin walks in and says, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> oh, that's okay. good, huh? That's that, like yeah. that's my wow. da- that's that's my Quick dad made. joke of the, the, the night. Yeah, it's that. Like oh, it. it's it's freezing in this basement. It's freezing. So I was trying to think of that line from Batman Forever when Danny DeVito, when the penguin is campaigning, and that girl looks at him and says something, and he says, "Oh, I forget what it is." So like. It's incredible. The sexual innuendo. I keep, I forget it, but anyway, okay, right. my your, turn. Your turn, Brad. Um, if Hollywood made a movie about your life, who would you like to see play the lead role as you? <laughs> Say Carrot Top. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if Carrot Top was not available, then it would have to be Zac Efron, right? Is he a? It would not be Zac Efron. It would be. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love the long pause between that answer because for anybody who could not see Brad and I just staring at each other, like, are you serious? <laughs> is is this a joke? We don't know. Um, I have actually, believe it or not, and I'm, I don't even know the the guy's name. My wife is a big Scandal fan, and so her brother actually said that I look like the president from Scandal. Hmm. 
scandal. But does he have your personality, Brett? I mean, yeah, you a... are one funny, charismatic guy. No, no, no. I mean, you own the market on that. So is that guy <laughs> wow. funny and charismatic? Yes, he could be funny and charismatic. Or maybe a guy like, well, who do? You, why don't you all answer that question? No, this is your question, man. It's not ours. I'm going to go with that guy. I wish I could know his name. Because... Fitz Grant? Maybe. Hold on. <laughs> Put me on the spot here. I sh- oh. So I should have... That's the character's name, apparently. Well, what's the Sorry. actor's name? I'm looking for it. Oh, my God. I could have prepared these answers. I had an outline no, no, for no. you. Next question, Brad. Let's go. Moving on. Okay. Who is your favorite Ninja Turtle and why? Oh, I grew up. It's um, Michelangelo. I had the whole. Okay. I had the whole like you know the wrestling buddies. I had the ultimate. Yes. I had the Ultimate Warrior and I had Michelangelo. It was Michelangelo yeah, I, for Halloween? I I totally would pick that for you. Yes. Tony Goldwyn, the guy's damn name. What else has he done? Oh, you'd recognize him, for sure. Well, I've never seen Scandal, so I doubt that. Filmography. So he was in. Going back, his first film, and this is why we're 1986. He was in Jason Lives, Friday oh. the 13th Part Six. He's okay. He's Carl and Ghost. Demi Moore. So the guy who kills Patrick Swayze and Ghost, or hired. He was in Cuffs with uh, Christian Slater, wasn't he? Yes. Ted. Yeah. Ted. Oh, yeah, from you're Cuffs. totally that guy. I know. Oh, it, I know. He's Colonel Bagley. He's Colonel Bagley in The Last Samurai too. Yes. Yes. See. Yes. Yes. He's the dad. Yeah. Okay. He's the dad in the remake on Last House of the Left. Last House on the Left. Oh, he's great in the Belko experiment. Yeah, this guy's been all over the place. Okay. That's a good. Okay. That's a good okay. answer. You win, Brett. Okay. And then final question. Final question. What What is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend to everyone? Oh, it. This isn't just a plug for this show. It's this one. What? <laughs> It's dread really? movie. Oh, it's this dread. Is the one you would recommend to everybody. Well, it, I mean, I, we're going to get into this on the show, but to me, I don't know if I would call dread a bomb. But if it, if somebody were to say it's a bomb, I would I would tell them to go watch it and tell me if they think it's an actual bomb. Well, okay, that's a great segue, man, because that is the movie you win. The whole thing, the 64 whatever million dollars. We are talking Dread tonight from 2012, um, directed by Pete Travis, starring, now you've already said his name already, right? Carl Urban as Judge Dread, Olivia Thurlby? Thurlby? Thurlby, yeah. Thurlby, okay, as Anderson. Um, Lena Hetty as Mama. Wood Harris as Kay and uh, Domino Gleason. As Kanteki, which uh, for those who don't know Domino Gleason, you might know him from um, the new Star Wars trilogy, right? So, um, an Ex Machina, right? Oh yes, Ex Machina. So, which is which, interesting. We're gonna get to that here in a minute when we talk about Alex Garland, who wrote the screenplay. Brad, um, this one came up on the list uh, early on. It was orig- you know originally the ones that we said, hey. We want to talk about this one, and I think we've already decided July is like the action movie month, right? Correct. So uh, this one came up after talking about Remo, Last Action Hero. We come to Dread. How did this thing do when it came out? Because one of the qualifications for it being a bomb is it either had to be just critically panned, 
nobody loved it, um, or it had to be just a total box office failure. So, Brad, did it make one of those qualifications or both of them? Well, so the budget I found everywhere from $35 million to $50 million, and the reason for that is post-production on the 3D. So, um, but, so let's say it's $50 million. It pulled in worldwide uh, $41 million. So Ooh. it lost quite a bit of money if you put in the marketing of the film, things like that. So they had to write off quite a bit with this movie. Um, I was actually surprised at $50 million. I, I thought they stretched out their money pretty well. Um, yeah. And they wasted their money on the 3D, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> well, no, we'll, we'll get into that because... Uh, I don't know if did you guys see this originally in the theater with uh, in 3D or did you discover this on home media? I did not see this in 3D. I believe I saw this in the theater, but I don't know if I I can't remember exactly if I did or not. I want to say I did. How about you? Because if it came out in 12, I was seeing everything that came out in that time period. Yeah, okay. I saw it in theater, not in 3D. Oh, okay. So I've seen it in 3D a couple of times. This is one of the few 3D films. Went and saw, and the 3D was spectacular on it. Um, it's one of the few films that, you know, when you're looking at a television, now they it really don't make them over here anymore, the 3D, you know, televisions themselves, but um, that's kind of dropped to the wayside, the fad sort of over from the, from the home video perspective. Uh, but it was one of the reasons why I thought maybe I should buy a TV with 3D because of this film, because the 3D was fantastic on it. But... Uh, obviously financially it bombed. So how did it do critically? Um, so critically it did a little bit better. Um, it sits right now at about a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 72% audience score. Um, I think for the type of film that it is, I think a, like 79 is maybe a little low for this movie, but I think it's fair. Um, we'll get into some of the reasons why, but, uh, this isn't the easiest movie to watch. Um, so I can see how it could turn off a lot of critics, um, especially with the, the ultra violence that's going on. Oh yeah. Um, it actually is reviewed very well on places like Amazon, things like that. Um, it's been released a few times and, um, I know we did the box office, but I saw somewhere, one of the reasons why they keep bringing up the fact that it might get a sequel or a TV series is it made like additional $20 million, like, home box office. Really? Um, yeah. Which is now I, you know, in the heyday of DVD, I think they said, I think I read somewhere where you could literally just put on another 20 to $25 million for a gross of a film in the heyday of 3d or a DVD. But for 20 million, you know, now they're maybe starting to get, make some money on this. Um, so that's kind of why there's that, always background noise of, Hey, they're going to do a sequel or they're going to do a TV show or something like that. Um, again, I think we've talked about this before. I don't think I believe that until I actually am sitting in the theater and see dread two. Um, yeah. And, and what is the latest rumor? So that, that's a good point. When we talked to tack the block, it, it, it just, the timing and we didn't time it this way. It just happened. Right. So then the sequel starts popping up, obviously, because of um, maybe the popularity of, of John Boyega. Um, and this one, now the rumor is that it may turn into like an ongoing streaming service series, right? Instead which, of a which would be perfect. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And and Carl Urban, I think, ever since he's played this role, has sort of championed the film. 
and has always wanted to come back and revisit it because he's he's in love with the character. Um, and when we talk about the film, I think everybody's in love with him being this character, right? I think this is kind of his Deadpool, right? When you say like his passion oh, character, like he wants to keep doing it. Um, yeah, that that's a really good that's a really good scenario. Um, and and a really good comparison. I I think it is. I think this is. I don't know if you call it his pet project. I mean, Ryan Reynolds has a lot of creative control over Deadpool. I don't know if Carl Urban sort of has uh, flexes those type of creative muscles, but from an acting you know perspective, I think we would all agree he just kind of owns the part, right? We can we can talk about this ad nauseum here soon. But the director Pete Travis, um, kind of an unknown, right? So lots yeah. of TV series. Uh, the couple of films he did do: Vantage Point from 2008 and Endgame in 2009. I don't think I've Which seen I like. I like Vantage Point. I'm not gonna lie. It's I, that's, ultimately really it. dumb, but so it's um, basically a film about like a. I think it's a. Bo- is it a bombing, Brett? And then it's like takes all these different vantage points. Yeah. To this one incident. Yeah. So it's so, the, it's the same. It's essentially the same story told from five, six different perspectives. Um, yeah. And it, it's. Yeah. It, it's. It's not dread, I, you know. I I wouldn't say go out and find it right now, but it's it's for for him for Pete Travis. I think it's I a guy that I would then hire to helm dread. I think it's fine. I think I think okay. he shows enough in the film that. But you know what I was, especially visually. Sure, absolutely, and that's yeah. You know, as and I'm we'll we'll get to talking about this, but the things that I think make dread really good. And I think, depending on what you read, Pete Travis either did or did not have a lot to do with it because Carl Urban is, is pretty much on record as saying that he considers Garland to be the true director of this film once the post-production was finished. So, But, you know, I think from a visual standpoint, I think Pete Travis does a really nice job with this. I love that you brought that up because the screenplay is done by Alex Garland. And this is what I found the most interesting in terms of behind the scenes. Alex Gardland had worked on 28 Days Later in 2002, Sunshine in 2007. Which is on our list. It's on our list. Um, Never Let Me Go in 2010, Dread in 2012, Ex Machina in 2014, and Annihilation in 2018. I mean, that that's a really good track record, I think, of great screenplays and more specific some science fiction horror type you know, with 28 days later, I mean, it, that, that's a, that's a fantastic resume of work, right? I think his resume shows like his maturity, like growing. I think, you know, 28 days later is pretty simple concepts. Mm-hmm. Sunshine's pretty simple. Then you get things like Ex Machina, which, you know, it, it gets a little bit more complicated, more science fiction Then something like Annihilation. I know it's based on a book, but from what I understand, he kind of has a lot of Liberty with some of the choices he made um, differences from the book. And I know people really love that movie. I wish I liked it more. Um, I want to go back and revisit, but I will say that it, I mean, it's awesome to look at, but um, yeah, you can kind of see his growth as a screenwriter through those films. You guys are just setting up the transitions left and right. So Annihilation that he did is based off of um, prior source material, right? The Mm -hmm. book itself. Takes a lot of liberties, brings that to the screen. Judge Dredd based on comic book, right? One of the most famous um, in terms, I would say, you know, comes out in the late 70s, goes to early 80s, but 
uh, in terms of British comics, um, it's iconic. Would you guys agree? Oh, 100%. No doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. little background. So just going to read some stuff here. Created by John Wagner. He wrote it. Carlos Esquera, artist and Pat Mills editor. It is actually part of a series. Um, it, Dread as a comic is a comic strip, and it's part of 2000 AD, um, which is, you know, think of it as a compilation of stories, right, that comes out on a regular basis. So Dread debuts 2000 AD, issue number two, March 1977. So John Wagner had written a story, um, sort of a Dirty Harry-style um, tough cop story called One-Eyed Jack for Valiant. And he thought about a character that would just go to the extreme from this one that he created for One-Eyed Jack. And so this character is partly styled by, you know, think of it as Dirty Harry on steroids. But when he's he's talking about, like, um, what should the look of it be, etc., he starts um, suggesting the character Frankenstein from the film Death Race 2000. I don't know if you've ever seen that Roger Corman film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically Wagner says, look, this is a psycho character with no feelings. That's the origination point of dread. Um, and then in 1983, judge dread made his American debut with his own series from publisher Eagle comics titled simply just judge dread. Um, but this is also fascinating too. So I know you guys are comic book guys too, because you know, obviously outside of the podcast, we talk about stuff, pop culture all over the place. But other artists who've worked on Judge Dredd, Garth Ennis, Mark Miller, Grant Morrison, and John Smith. Um, wow. And even Anderson, the character, uh, is known as Judge Anderson in the comics. And she made her debut as a supporting character in the Judge Dredd story, Judge Death. So it's 2000 AD, issue 150. So she comes out in 1980. And the character's popularity was so big, she actually got her own series called Anderson Side Division. So that's a little bit of background from the comics. But here's the thing I want to talk about before we get into the movies. Now, Brad. Slice alone. No, we're <laughs> going to talk about that. We will talk about that film because I do think it's interesting. But so far, um, and <laughs> again, unintentional. Maybe the first episode. Not not the not the prequel or episode zero, but the first one comes out of the gate and we say, let's do Children of Men, right? First time watch for me, obviously your pick. Um, and it is a very politically charged film, right? Yes, indeed. Um, and then, you know, we start talking about Coneheads. We start talking about Remo. We even get to Last Action Hero and we go, there's no politics about Last Action Hero, right? Wrong, because Schwarzenegger says, well, Clinton got elected, so Last Action Hero bombs. Yeah, we're a bunch of pansies now because Democrats are running the country. Yes. Uh, had any of you read the Judge Dredd comic stories or AD, you know, um, 2080 or anything prior to seeing the film? I had not. And I just, I don't know. I don't know why. I think I just, based on everything I knew about the Judge Dredd movie that came out in the 90s, I had like zero interest in in the character itself. And I think that was it. I just, I, the character never really spoke to me. Um, so I never really kind of went any further with it. How about you, Greg? No. Yeah. So along those same lines, I think after that 95 film with Sly came out, I think a lot of people kind of just lost interest or they thought this is simply too satirical for me. Um, and when I was, started looking into this for the for the podcast 
I didn't realize just how how obviously the, the the political connections are there, but I didn't realize going back to the beginning when he first started drawing or when he first created the character, just how much of it was derived from. I think one article said that he created it from Margaret Thatcher's Brit, and so there was there were so many of this sort of political powder keg going on at the time. So he came up with this draconian cop character, like you said, kind of a dirty, hairy kind of cop. And I didn't get any of that from the 95 film, obviously. So when I started looking into that, I just, I realized how much that I had missed on simply from that film. I then said, well, why do I want to pursue a character who's kind of honestly a goofball? And instead in reality, what it turned out, this guy was this badass. And so I think that's another thing, and uh, we can talk about this later. I don't, I don't know if the 2012 film, for me, is as significant and as good if it weren't for that 95 film. It's kind of like, a, oh my God, this is, this is what the character could be. That's a good point. So, <sighs> Carlos Esquera was the artist. So he creates the image of judge judge dread. He lives under a fascist regime of general Franco Spain and basically channels that entire experience into his work. And one of the things that if you read a lot of articles on it, cause there are a lot of political um, articles on judge dread, the character, and I'm surprised how often it comes up in British politics too. It's all over the place. Right. Um, but he even takes that and says, okay, within the artwork, I'm going to have the symbol of the Eagle on Dredd's shoulder pad within the comic. But that is in reference to experiences that he saw growing up in Spain. Um, and if, if you read, there's a great article called the politics of judge dread by Michael Mulcher came out in 2017. It's on politics.co.uk, but some lines from it, it, he's basically talking about judge dread being either, um, a power fantasy for Nazis or a too subtle piece of lefty irony. So this character, when it debuts, it's meant as a satirical piece, even somewhat of a, as a warning on, hey, look at this fascist regime. Look at somebody who supports that authoritarian regime. And let's take that character to the extreme and see what we can do from a story perspective. Um, and this is this comic strip, the more that you read about it and... <laughs> Of course, in, in pure Troy fashion, I go out and I get the uh, best of Judge <laughs> Dredd, right? And I'm reading this in preparation. So it it's a cool little book that you can pick up. And basically, it goes through and takes excerpts from all the different um, 2000 AD run and stories. Now, it doesn't finish the story, but it'll take you through a significant portion. It says, hey, if you want to finish the story, go and buy this, you know, Judge Dredd case file number 16 or whatever it is. Did you study a lot in college, Troy? I did. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, obviously nurse, right I'm, all, I'm also i'm also picturing troy's daughter up to bat in the fifth inning of a closely contested game and he's the only dad reading the the best of dread <laughs> i saved it for like i get up at five or six in the morning to read the comics before we go out to the field at seven or eight and hey we got some beach time because we were, you know we had to play on the east coast of maryland so uh right, right a little bit on the beach but no i, I get it i get it yeah, um yeah it, it's, it's interesting and and so i've read some comics before it but i think to your point brett you always envisioned it as like a badass right so there's a character you just it, it, it felt really mad max right because you've got mega city one but outside of the walls is the 
um, really the apocalyptic zone. And the stuff I read was, you know, Judge Dredd going through that. But there was one story, and now I want to go read the whole thing. But, um, you know, um, Ennis in 1991 does a story called Twilight's Last Gleaming. This is interesting. So the whole idea of this story is that um, within Mega City 1, there's going to be a, a simple yes or no vote about which political system should govern Mega City 1. And it's going to be either be democracy by the people or the judges are going to run it, right? So um, no roadmap, no plan, just a yes or no vote. Are we going to go this direction or that direction? So through the story and everything else, because it's very political, um, weeks ahead of the vote, polling's clear, looks like the judges are going to lose and everybody's going to rise up and do a democracy and not let um, the judges exist anymore. But what happens in the story is when it comes to voting day, bar- barely a third of um, the distracted, politically illiterate um, population end up showing up to vote. And those that did show up to vote entirely and just overwhelmingly choose the judges. So the idea of this story is that a distracted society bored with democracy, an entire nation um, is just totally distracted by everything else. And when it comes down to it, they end up giving up on freedom and vote for an authoritarian rule. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this, oh this is in God. 1991, You right? can't make this stuff up. <sighs> and here we are. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and what's amazing is the more you read about this, and this is a great article, it says, a comic strip that predicted everything from labor automation to the rise of authoritarian government to the banning of smoking in public. And if you think about the context of even the film and the comics, the reason why the, you have these mega city blocks or, you know, everybody that's in there is because the unemployment rate's 94% in this world. And and you've got the city that is encased by a wall and outside of the wall is really, you know, the the badlands where all Were the these people in the, exist. in the in Mega City 1 were they getting a stimulus check right. at all? You know? <laughs> I, I, right. I, I don't know. I think Link, I, give me a couple of months and when I yeah. go through some of these I'll let you know. Here's um, $1200, it's okay. Yeah, and and what's funny, uh, San Diego Comic-Con in 2019, they actually had a panel and it was um, turning the satire of Judge Dredd into a very unexpected conversation. So I'm going to read some quotes here. Journalist Graham McMillan said, I mean, for me as a kid, it was an adventure comic. And I agree with this 100% because I, I only read a little bit, right? But going back and reading it now, it's actually pretty horrifying. Um, the idea that satire is more difficult based on your experience with the subject being satirized, that's the case with this comic because they're specifically talking about the police, right? So what they're basically saying within you know this panel discussion is, satire is very subjective so if you have not lived under an authoritarian regime if you have not lived under sort of a police state you may not get the the satire that's being conveyed within the comic strip so therefore you do see it as an action adventure you know comic strip um joel monique said but in reality this series is what happens when you put someone privileged in a bad neighborhood give them a gun and tell them to make sure people are behaving how is that satire? I grew up seeing things like this. Hmm. And I also have another question. Is yes. this, is that kind of thought about satire? Is it dangerous? So like, re- I remember when fight club came out and like people started like forming fight clubs and it's like, <laughs> I think you might've missed the point of the movie. So for here, it's like, 
satirizing like authoritarian figures to a point where you kind of devalue them. But there's going to be people that miss out on that satire and think that being judge and jury and executioner are the way things should be. Mm-hmm. Um, is that dangerous? I mean, that's dangerous, right? I mean, there's because you, you go around and there's like people with Punisher stuff like, you know, you see these guys that are, you know, you know, Second Amendment people and they always have Punisher stuff all over. It's like, I think you might be missing the point. And I think, you know, when you have characters like this, there's always that. I think you might be missing the point sort of characteristic to them that is I think somewhat dangerous because there's a lot of dumb people out there and they're going to miss the whole point of stuff. No, And that doesn't mean you can't make it, but it's just, it's dangerous. I think I, I, I go ahead, Troy. No, I, I, I was going to agree. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because I have an interesting story about it, but go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to agree as well. I think it's a, a, a fair point. Absolutely. And I, and I think there, you know, I obviously think there is some there's some gray area here where you can you can really enjoy the film and, and also not think that you're going to go out and shoot an incendiary into a, a, a landing full of people and think that. And but you know, kind of where we're at now, it, it really is. I was thinking to myself as you were describing that, Troy. You know, at some point this podcast, we may have to start. Make, making sure that we differentiate between whether we're talking about dread or whether we're talking about what's going on right now. I mean, it, it, it's, it really is. Yeah, are we talking about Portland or are we talking yeah, about it's dread? Right. <laughs> and, and that's, 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 you know, that's, I think Brad, I think you make a, a very valid point there. You know, it's at some point satire almost becomes to, to a large population of people, the satire almost becomes, Nonfiction, and it's like, well, yeah. At what point do we draw the line? Yeah, but go ahead, Troy, with what you were gonna say. No, so um, I, I, like I said from from the quote about the comic strip, this was my pick. So anytime we do the even shows, I get to pick. Brad gets odd, right? So I picked Dread, and the reason why I picked Dread was here is an action film that I thought got overshadowed by the raid that came out the year before. Um, because it's the basic plot, you know, you got a tower and you're trying to get from the ground floor to the op in, to the top floor. Very, very Bruce Lee game of death. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, well, everybody talks about the raid and how great the raid is. And it got rightfully so. Yeah. Raid two. <laughs> and, and they're great films. Don't get me wrong. But a year later it comes out dread and it's pretty much the same plot. I saw it in 3d twice. Loved it in 3d. And I'm sitting here thinking this is a fantastic action film and I'll go on record. And when we talk about this film to say, um, the Stallone one, I, I kind of enjoy that one too, but I'll tell you why later on why I think that's a good film. Um, and then I start reading, this is what I love about the podcast. Like if nobody ever listens to this thing, fine. But the fact that Brad and I get to talk about films and, and I get a week to go and do a deep dive on the film and read, you know, the source material or go back and, and read about it. I'm I'm looking at this and I'm going, dude. I I thought it was a great action film, and I thought uh, this was just a total badass cop goes in, you know, very extreme, dirty, hairy. And you re- you read the backdrop to why this character was created, what it was trying to do. I looked at it, went, man, totally missed the satire, did not get any of it. And then as I'm doing the research, the thing that 
really just comes out and kind of knocks me on on my butt is what is my experience in where I've lived or the history of where I lived with the police. And so therefore, if my experience is it, it's it's very nothing, right? Just what I see in films and movies. I had a couple of uh, speeding tickets, I think. That's about <laughs> no, it, no, right? No, you didn't. <laughs> Don't lie. Uh, maybe one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'm think, and I read that quote about satire and says, okay, it's difficult to judge satire or to get satire unless your experience lines up with that. I, I'm that person. And then when I hear about what's going on in um, Oregon or even what's about ready to happen in Chicago and I talk to, you know, I, I have friends on both sides of any debate. Um, and it is curious to me when I start talking about movies, how somebody will look at dread and go, man, we need more of that in today's world. Like that's spot on. We need somebody to go out there and say, not only am I going to stop or prevent uh, the violence from happening, but I am going to judge it on the spot, and they should have full autonomy to make a decision. That actually came up in Britain a couple of times where people were referencing Judge Dredd, according you know, to the internet, where some politicians were out there kind of championing this type of character. And so I'm looking at this as like, man, this is an awesome action film, but when you take a step back and look at the source material, you go, ooh, wait a second, um, maybe... Uh, maybe there's something else going on here. And then when we talk about the film, I do want to talk about, is that satire prevalent within 2012's Judge Dredd? But, I mean, any other thoughts on this one before we just get right into the film? No, Mm-mm. that was much deeper than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to be honest, all of a sudden now I'm rethinking my stance. I'm like, oh, am I... <laughs> Am I just a terrible person for enjoying? What? No, 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 no. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Anybody listen? Again, this is the great thing. I always. This is what I love about film. Film is one of those things that it, it can bring people together in a great discussion. Walk into a room of a bunch of people you don't know. Say, what's your favorite film? All of a sudden, you got a conversation starter, right? Sure, sure. But what's cool about this is you can get on um, a particular discussion thread or conversation or like a podcast. Bring up a film like this. And if you get the right people involved in the conversation, you can kind of go, well, I, can I enjoy this thing? Heck yeah, I can enjoy this thing. This is an awesome action film. Um, but if it gets you to look at the source material and see where was it coming from in the late 70s, early 80s, that's a good thing, I think. Shouldn't feel bad for that, right? Yeah, Unless sure. this became, you know, unless this was created as a result of somebody wanting to put out neo-Nazi propaganda, which I don't <laughs> think was the case. <laughs> we do not support um, that. Yes. So let's get into it. So I'm going to kick it over to you. I know this is my pick, um, but we wanted to bring you on the show, Brett, because um, Brad and I just love your opinion, uh, especially well, when it comes you. to action movies. Let's talk about this film. What What is your what's your reaction to this film? Why now in the questions you champion this as, Hey, here's something that bomb that you tell everybody about. Why is that? Uh, I think, well, I have a lot. So how I would classify a bomb, of course you look at the, 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 what it costs to make the film, what was the film's budget. And then we look at the box office success and, you know, I think Brad made a good point earlier. I think 79% for a movie like this, it's kind of right on par with where I, where I think it would be. Um, I, for, for me, from a, 
first from a visual perspective. I think the slow-mo scenes, the slow-mo sequences are are the standout, and I don't think that's breaking news to anybody that's seen the film. I think it's awesome. I think it gives I think it gives Mama's character this whole kind of interesting I, th- I think she's really one of the standouts from the films, the character and of course the way Lena plays her is just outstanding. I think she and Carl Urban are two are two def- definite standouts, but I, I just think that the, the film isn't, there's not a lot of fat to it. it. It's an hour and a half. I think that, I think that Garland made a smart decision and, and Peter Travis, I don't want to get, I keep saying Garland. I, I, I don't want to take anything away from Pete Travis. It's just when I, when I read about the film and I read what Carl Urban has to say, it just sounds to me like Garland had his hands on a lot of the final, what we saw, I think Garland had a lot to do with, and I think that it was a smart decision to rein in that whole storyline that we had talked about previously. Troy, I think you did a great job explaining it, and to sort of hone in on one day, what one day in the life of a judge. And and, and I think that concept, I think it works for the film. Um, and then, of course, you know me. I, I'm a big soundtrack guy, and I think the almost ethereal vibe to the, the slow-mo music. And then it's almost like a 70s punk rock meets i don't know meets industrial house music and and i think all of those things together make up this movie that just kind of hit me out of nowhere and i don't know if it was because i was the 95 film was still in the back of my mind but when i first saw it in theaters i just remember walking out thinking that rocked i mean that if, if i had this image of dread in my mind that was it those are a lot of good reasons, man. Where, where should we start, Brad? Because on my notes, I think Brad, uh, Brett hits everything. <laughs> like I have well, a whole... I will add that if on paper, I don't know if this film works for me on paper. Are you all familiar with like in video games, like the escort mission? Yes. So you yep. always have like a companion with you. <laughs> yeah. and you gotta they're, save always, they're always the worst part of any video game when you have mm-hmm. to save someone because they're always dumb, they're always getting in trouble, and they always make you fail out. This movie is an escort mission, but it works. And the reason it works is Anderson does have moments where she becomes a damsel in distress, but there are also moments where she is the hero. And I think that works um, to kind of, A, play with the trope of an action film that the female is always going to be in trouble and need help, but then flip it around and say, but this one can hold her own even with these grown men. And I I will disagree a little bit with Brett. I think some of the slow-mo stuff gets a little bit tiring by the end of the movie. Um, That's my real only critique of the film is – I think they lean on it a little too much. Um, like I get it. It slows you down. Um, but I think the technical aspect of that, I read like the camera that they used was like shot at like 3000 frames a second. Um, so I, I'm not saying it's not technically really cool. I just, for me, they do. They, the, yeah, they lean on it. The, the fifth or sixth time it was like, okay, yeah. let's, let's, but they, let's, I, I think they lean on it because, and I, I feel Man, I just I want to go back in the time machine, get you guys to the theater, see this in 3D. The slow motion effects. If you guys watch 3D films, I mean, the best thing about 3D is when the stuff not only pops out of the screen, but you get depth perception too, right? That's so, what Avatar got right. Yeah, it wasn't exactly. the stuff coming Agreed. at you was Agreed. like the depth of field. 
Yeah, in the slow-mo sequences, especially when they take the slow-mo drug, those whole drug sequences were really there to highlight some of the 3D technology. Now, I don't think that's the only reason why they're there because that's not the only time they do the slow motion sequences. Some of the action sequences come down to that slow motion. And here's the thing. I mean, um, I, I think all three of us are are huge fans of Hong Kong films from the 80s and 90s, right? Um, yes. And you look at that kinetic action that occurs and it's one take and it's fluid it's it's the equivalent to a, a good Gene Kelly movie even. Um, but what happens is when you get into slow motion, if you watch something with John Woo, John Woo has a little bit of artistry, right? Uh, outside of the dubs and everything that he puts in everything. But there's, <laughs> there's good slow motion artistry going on within the action sequences. And I think they bring that out within this film. Um, and I think the slow motion. Yeah, someone adds... watched Hard Boiled a few times. Yeah. It was like, yeah, let's let's go there. Yeah, but they, you know they they do a good job of bringing yeah. bring it to life, and I think it fits the comic book motif that this film does deliver. Um, because if you think of a comic book and some of the panel structure, and um, even you know now that I've read more Judge Dredd comics, that slow motion aesthetic really fits within the comic book establishment of this character and it's great on 3d uh, unfortunately they don't sell 3d tvs over here anymore um but this this would be one of the ones like if somebody were doing hey let's do a 3d revival uh and put it back in the theaters this this would be my top choice because the 3d in it was fantastic especially the sequence where they have i don't know what you would call it the big you know almost gatling guns that are set yeah. up on one side yes. of the floor shooting through the walls and Terminator uh, two taught me that's called a minigun, a minigun, uh. excuse me. Um, just shooting everybody, you know, uh, all the collateral damage and, and the building and everything else. That whole sequence is just, it's, it's pretty to look at, you know, visually, um, it's very comic book ish, but the, the 3d aspect of it really adds to it. So I'm, I'm going to side with Brett on this a little bit and say, I, I did not find it exhausting to the end of the film. I think um, from an artist standpoint and even from an aesthetic standpoint, because they used it throughout the entire film, it fits. Now, you know, uh, another thing that I had written down, I I wanted to see what your opinion was. You know, it's no, this isn't a big revelation that cultural context a lot of the time matters when it comes to a film's box office success. I was curious, you know, and I, I, I looked at the top film of 2012 and then I looked at Sort of what the big storylines were. Well, 2012 started horrifically. In February, you had Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. Benghazi was also 2012. And then Aurora, Colorado, 2012. Oh. Well, then wow. sep- yeah. September 21st, Dread is released here in the States. <laughs> and to me, I, I got to think, well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that a film is hyper-violent about a a judge, jury, and executioner who takes the law into his own hands probably isn't going to react real well in a country that's just been involved with and was still kind of in the midst of this whole thing. And so I, I wanted to see what you all thought about if if this film had been released, say, in a different year, where whereas we weren't dealing with some of these horrific incident of mass violence or some racial injustice where somebody did take the law into his own hands. And do you think that would have affected the film's box office success? 
Well, it's it's weird because I think End of Watch comes out the same day as this movie, and that's actually like a police. Sure. I mean, it's very raw, raw police sort of way, and it makes like ten times its budget. It makes like fifty-seven million on a five million dollar budget. Yeah, so that, I, was, that was a big hit for Universal. I think yeah, they released David, it. Is that David, David Ayer? Ayer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and I I actually think that movie's pretty good, but I don't know. It's hard because you have this. Both films are kind of not the same, but you know right, the, the right, source right. material, subject matter. You can draw a line to them. One is a huge success. The other is a mediocre failure, if you want to be nice. Um, but it's just weird that you know they come out on the same day, and I guess you just pick which police movie you're going to see. That's a good point, and that's funny because I. <laughs> When I looked at the, the domestic grosses, the end of Watts jumped out at me. I cannot believe that movie made as much as it did. I mean, it, it crushed Dread at the box office. That, that was a surprise for me. And I, I don't know if it's because David Ayer just has this reputation now. where, But that it, that's weird that you brought that one up because that jumped out for me as well. I, I was surprised that end of Watts made as much as it did. Yeah, I mean, I... It's a good film. I, I enjoy the movies. I enjoy the movie. This one, I think, is risky. I mean, it's it's a science fiction film, science fiction action, right? And if you see the trailers and everything else, and if you see the trailer for End of Watch and you see the trailer for Dread, if you're not into comics, you're not into science fiction, I don't think this is going to appeal to you. That's fair. Because it's, it's not a comedy action film, right? It is straight, hardcore, science fiction, gory action. It's ultra-violent. Like, it's mm-hmm. ultra-violent, yes. Um, and I to think... To a point where, where I, I know that we're hardened movie watchers but some of the stuff is a little tough right like i the, the skinning got to me yeah and <laughs> the like bullets entering the guy's face was like yeah. oh my god hey hey you'll like this brad that's very argento slow motion yes. bullets going through right out of stendhal syndrome right so um but and yeah. now i like this film 10 percent less <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it's it's I think this is a bold film. You you guys talk about it from the standpoint of now think of it as you like Judge Dredd in terms of the comics. You like the satire, you 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 follow it, right? And then you come along and you get a film where right at the beginning of the film, you get this voiceover, you get this narration, you get the setup for what the world is, and you've got Mega City One, you got this dystopian landscape, you you've got what sits outside of the wall, right? Um, barren wasteland, mutants, whatever it is. So you spend the beginning of this film. There's a, there's a great chase sequence too, I think, um, that happens to end up very much, you know, uh, the dirty Harry, the dirty Harry comparison really nails itself right at the start of the film, right? So instead of, um, you know, how many bullets do I got in this gun? It's more or less, hey, you're gonna get me X, Y, and Z. I don't negotiate. Boom, shoot you in the mouth. You, your head blows up. So Dirty Harry on steroids totally meets that. But you know about the Judge Dredd character. You know this dystopian landscape. There's all of these things. And if you if you read the comics, I mean, there's guerrilla gangsters in it. There's all these mutants. I mean, it's really out there. 
And then the next yeah, Mega City Mega City One is right next door to the Fury Road. So. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it, I mean, it's crazy. You get a little hint of it when they're giving Mama's backstory, and you get to see glimpses of the gangs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like the judge. I figured that I figured that had to play into the comics and stuff. They're making some homages or something. It yeah, and, and it has that Warriors feel to it. Some of the costume design and stuff like that. So what I what I found totally a, a very bold move is. I'm going to give you 15 minutes of this setup of these gangs in this world, et cetera. And then I'm going to lock you in a room for the next hour and 15 minutes. And all the action is just going to take place in a high rise. And it's mostly in elevators and in just very plain cinder block rooms. Maybe we'll go out to this skateboard ramp. That's maybe 40 stories. (laughs) high. That's about the only outside you get, but everything else is self-contained. Um, and everything happens within the Peachtree's block. That is the one thing where I go, if you're a fan of the comic, I can understand where you might be a little disappointed with the film. Because you get I, like z- zero world building or? Yes. And so that brings okay. us to the Stallone thing. So if, if you want my opinion, um, the Stallone version of Dread gets the world building right if you're looking for something that represents the comic book. You want a Versace to do the, the, the costumes? Is that what you wanted? Yes. But if, okay. if you go back and look at the comic and, and you look at it and look at the characters within the comics and the mutants and um, everything else. Now, take out Rob Schneider, Stallone, oh. Armand Asante, all of that stuff. So take take the main characters out of it. Okay. So take out 90% yeah. of the film. Take the, <laughs> take the movie out of it. and you No, know, but... Take the world-building elements, and um, Judge Dredd uh, gets it right. Um, whereas I think this film gets the characters right, and it shortchanges on the setting. Yeah, but I don't really care about. I, I just want here's the setup. Go. I always enjoy something like that, especially if we're just gonna kind of play a day in the life of Dredd. Like none of that stuff really matters. You just need to know why is he there. And how's he going to get out? Right? I mean, yeah. Do, and, I, and I wonder if I wonder if in the back of their minds when they were making the, the twelve dread, if they had that ready to go for a sequel, had that been greenlit, if this film had done a little bit better, I wonder if their rationale was let's introduce this character a, a second time. Let's let's try to make people forget about ninety five dread. Introduce this new dread. And if this is successful, then we're going to sort of build out this whole world that exists within the comic books. Do you think that could have been in the back of their minds, Troy? Or do you think they oh, should? Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I would look at it this way. You made a comment about, you know, is this film better because the one before it exists? Meaning that, you know, you, you saw Stallone do, I'm the law. Right. Or, you know, however he says, yeah, I can do a Stallone that was, voice. That was good. Um and and you look at that and you go, wow, that was just silly. And you get to this one who's lean, mean, um, and from a character standpoint, you know, exemplifies everything that's dread. I look at it and say, yeah, that does kind of influence my enjoyment of a little bit because I got a taste of the world building in this film. So I know what's possible, sure. I guess, that, you know, something comes off the pages. And don't get me wrong. I don't think it takes it away from this film at all. I think um, from a Alex Garland did the right thing from a scripting choice. And, and that's why I think this film is so good. You can do one of two things. You can take the Judge Dredd comic and you can throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. And that's what the Stallone film did, right? 
And that will work if you get the casting right. And that's where it really misfired. And this one, they said, okay, we've got a budget of X. You can't world build on that budget. Um, we're going to get the characters right. And we're going to have a very lean, mean story. And if it does well, then hopefully you go into this. And that, that's why I get excited when I read rumors about this property and especially Carl Urban going into like some type of series mm -hmm. because I'm like, that's perfect. That, that is exactly perfect. And that's what I want to see because you can take segments of that world, build it out at a good pace and you don't have to kind of go, well, look, I got 90 minutes. I got to sell this thing and I got to get all that money back in order to get a sequel. Yeah. I'm, I'm also down with some of the choices they made. Like, we're going to have Carl Urban and he's never going to take that helmet off. Yeah. Oh my god. So, if there <laughs> if there is an Academy Award <laughs> for Jawline? Uh, for yeah, Jawline. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He should win that. I mean, um what is, so I have a question for you guys. Um is Dread a good character on his own or is he only good because of Anderson? Uh, yeah, um God, that's Brad. What do you think? I'm gonna piggyback off you. <laughs> You're the host of the show. I think that it definitely shows some. His, a little bit. You get a little bit more of his human side with Anderson, and I think that it's good to know that he's not just a Terminator, um, and that there actually is a human being underneath the helmet. Um, and because he like when he's giving her the instruction at the very beginning and he says, Hey, you know, you lose your gun automatic fail. She ends up losing her gun, but he sees that she has all this potential and can do the job and saves him. And like his human element comes out and says, actually, you know what? She is a pass. Um, and I think that helps. Because you're never going to relate to this character because he is just this violent, um, totalitarian figure. Um, so I think it cuts back on that just a little bit, having Anderson around with him to kind of show that, hey, I'm not RoboCop, I'm Dread. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think you said it very well there, Brad. I, I think that some some of the little comments that Hook, that he makes to Anderson at the beginning of the film, he. They're about to when when we get the slow mo bullets through the face, they're about to bust in, and he says, "Are you ready?" And she says, "Yes." And he says, "You don't look ready." Then at the very end, he asks the same question, and there all of a sudden there's this human side of him where he says, "She says yes," and he says, "You look ready." So I agree with Brad. I think that's good. I think it's 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 nice to see him sort of. I mean, he's never going to be an empathetic action hero i mean he is what he is and you know that's we've talked about it now for pretty much the entire podcast he is a very draconian this is how it's going to be and, and that's that's the character but troy i don't know if you if you've gotten into the comics enough to do we ever get a sense of a backstory or a or is he just kind of this 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 is the character. This is Dread, and we just take him kind of for for who he is. Well, his first name's Joe. <laughs> oh, I'm not. No, kidding. it isn't. It's actually <laughs> it is Joe. Joe. Okay, it's Joe, Joe Dread. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. He looks like a Joe. Hmm. He's a clone. 
they kind of hint at that at the beginning because as she's reading, uh, they ask the question about who's in the room with me and she's, you know, listing all these things and describing dread and she pauses and she goes, yeah, but there's something. And then she cuts him off or the, yeah, uh, the yeah. commander cuts her off. Well, I think that's a hint to the fact that in the comics, um, you know, dread and his brother are clones and they're bred to be judges. Um, and what's interesting, I knew cloning, I knew cloning had to be in there somewhere. I knew it. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is you go through the comics. I mean, his, his name is Joe. There's a whole sequence in the comics. Like one of the recent stories already has a robot Butler. That is think of, think of Rob Schneider as a Butler. That's what's in the comic books. Okay. Um, and it's, and it's meant to be kind of funny. He's, he's, this robot is showing up at these crime scenes when he's trying to bust down and saying, is the, is the robot the comic relief? Yes, he is. He shows up at, you know, dreads about to, you know, take on all these criminals and the robot shows up. It's like, you haven't had your lunch. You need to eat your lunch. (laughs) So dread is having to force a sandwich down before he jumps in and like murders all these people. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean the, the comics, what's fascinating about the comics is, and I haven't gotten this deep, it, the the movie and even doing the research has got me into the rabbit hole of now Judge Dredd, so I'm I'm trying to see you know go out and get everything. Um, but there there's whole storylines where at some point he kind of leaves being a judge because he gets fed up with it and he goes through a story arc over it. Um, my next question for you guys, because my opinion because is, the character does become a little bit more liberal, correct? At yes, some point in time, he does yeah. over, over the series. Um, and and goes back and really forth pisses off Arnold Schwarzenegger too. <laughs> Jesus, he's so mad. But I, I I you know the whole Andrew. I think this movie does not work without um, the Anderson character, in my opinion. Um, I think it doesn't just provide him the ability to uh, be more human and, and give a response and interaction. But without Anderson, I don't think I don't think Dredd goes through character development, and I do think he does through this film, because to you you guys pointed out at the beginning of the film he has a list of things you do this you fail you fail you fail you fail, and right out of the gate he's like why am I am I bringing this person along because they couldn't even meet the minimum requirements from a scoring to even get into the program, and they're saying well yeah we know that but. She has this ability, so we want you to take her out, see how she does it, and you tell us whether or not she passes or fails because on paper she doesn't pass, right? Um, and as much love as we give for Carl Urban and, well, half of Carl Urban's face, <laughs> I mean, that, that's some hell of acting. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that at, from a slight perspective. I think Carl Urban just owns this film. Uh, he could not own the film without Olivia. Um, I think she's fantastic as Anderson. When I found out there's a whole Anderson comic series as a result of that, I'd be like, yeah, I'd like to see a whole Anderson um, film series too. I mean, I think she's she's just, to me, she's just as interesting as Dread. I like the comments, the exchange when they're going through it and, you know, he makes a comment about Peachtree's and she's like, hey, I came from a place just like this. And I think that adds to the whole um, character development that Dread ends up going through for the end of the film because... At the end of the day, he's just a bad, you know, he, in the beginning of the film, he's a badass. But at the end of the day, he starts to break into being something more than a judge. And to your point, Brett, I, I think they were ready for a sequel if this did well to go explore that. I agree. No, I think I, I think you did a great job explaining that. I, I think Anderson, I think Olivia just, she's great. I, I think the two play off each other really well. Um, and, and. 
the guy that plays K. I mean, he's a he's with them for what half the movie, a little over half the movie. Yeah. It's three of Wood them. Wood Harris, Wood yes. Harris, and Julius. Yeah, Julius. Like that's yes, he's great. And you know, I think that that I think he's so great in in such kind of a behind the scenes part that that he 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 stood out to me without saying all that much. And, and that's 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 easier said than done. And I think he does great because the whole time you, you in the little bits that he does tell Anderson, you you're really sort of like you're praying that she doesn't in, end up in the hands of this, of mama's clan. And he doesn't, he never really says it in graphic detail. You see the little bits where she gets inside his mind, but I think he does so much with just a little bit that he does tell her that you've got this foreboding sense of if she ends up in this hands, you like, like dread tells her, you probably don't want to get taken alive. And they, they don't make that explicit. I think Wood Harris just does such an awesome job of portraying that without necessarily saying it, if that makes sense. No, I think all, I think all the performances in this movie are pretty top notch. I can't think of anyone that I was like, man, eh, I didn't really like that. I think they're all great. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk, let's talk about Lena Headey mama. So you brought it up at the beginning, Brett. Um, so here's the question. So is she one dimensional? Is she pure evil? Is it a one note character or is there a little bit of depth? Or is she so good at being a one-note memorable character that you forgive any lack of depth? I mean, this is the one character I kind of go back and forth on. Because they do a little bit of her backstory through narration at the beginning. And then when you see her interact with everybody and you get these flashbacks of what she's even done to um, the Domino Gleason character... Mm-hmm. Uh, by you know taking his eyes and giving him a replacement, you know I don't know what the you know camera optic stuff. Um, how good is that character, or or is it one note? Uh, for me, it's hard. It's hard for me to see her without being like Cersei, so it's kind of hard to like separate the two. Yeah. Um. So, but I I like her as a villain. Um. I think she does it like. She's pretty ruthless, and and I like that. And I don't know, is she one note? Maybe yes, but that's okay to me because I would not want to cross her. Right. So. Right. <laughs> I, again, when I when I was reading the the character, sort of who they were auditioning for this character, I guess in the comics, and Troy, you can obviously talk to this more than I can. That the character of Mama is this horribly obese sort of. She's scarred like like mom like Lena Haiti was, but I guess that when Lena Haiti auditioned, she was just such what they were looking for. And I kind of agree with Brad. I, I think it, it, I guess even in 2012 to a certain extent, Lena Haiti's just she's really good at playing that character. And so even if she's one note, you you do get a little bit of the pimp backstory, but it's not enough to necessarily make you really sort of invested in why she is the way she is. She's just so damn good at it that you you buy it and it works. So it works for this situation. Like Brad said, you, you immediately the first time you see her, she skins three guys alive and throws them off the throws them off the balcony. So I think it works. I, I, I even as a fan of the film, I wouldn't go as far to say that she was a, a necessarily a sophisticated villain. But I don't I don't <laughs> I don't think it really takes away from what we what we see sort of happening as the film goes on this ultimate 
showdown with with her and Dread. I don't think it takes away from the fact that she is kind of one note. Yeah, I mean, I, her performance is fantastic. Don't be wrong. If, if we're talking about like pure menacing, evil, very intimidating, she delivers a hundred percent on all accounts. Um, I think the one thing I wanted a little bit more of is at the start of the film. If you look at Dread and you you look at her, they're they're just on you know the opposite ends of the spectrum. Good evil. It's very black and white, right? Mm-hmm. Over the film, Dread does a, not a complete transformation, but you start to see the cracks of, okay, I'm starting to question this. I started out at the day saying, here are all the rules, and if you do X, Y, and Z, you're out, right? She does X, Y, and Z, and to Brad's point, at the end of the film, he's like, it's a pass. And there's reasoning behind it that that from a character development, you buy into it. With Mama, I don't expect an entire backstory for me to like feel sorry for her or understand her motivations, etc. Um, but I was kind of hoping for some cracks in there, the way that they did it with Dread. Um, and I do think she's just like, nope, pure evil, gonna do this, don't care. Here, here you go, right? Yeah. Um, and I think Lena's a better actress um, with given a little bit more material on her side. Um, she could have added a little bit more depth than to just be something that is so overbearingly menacing. Um, so I love the performance. It's not cartoonish. I'll say that. I mean, it's it's bleak, uh, it's sadistic, um, but not to the point of comical. I mean, when she's on screen, you, you're, you're sweating a little bit because, <laughs> uh, you know, something bad's going to happen, um, which is great. Uh, but I, w- I was hoping a little bit more from that character, I guess. And I don't, I don't know if you can deliver it in 90 minutes, though. Yeah. I mean, you're going to make some sacrifices, right? Yeah, especially when 85 of those minutes is going to be centered on Dredd and Anderson. So. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the action. So, oh, I'm sorry, Brett, you had... Well, I was just going to say, I guess the only growth that they thought was, where it was her telling her gang that Anderson was not to be raped or tortured. It was just shot in the face and chest multiple times. So that's growth. What more do you want? Okay, Brett, you, you, you got me there. Exactly. There's a little bit of softer side to her. Um, Thank you guys. So the action sequences, uh, let, let's talk about this. Um, what, what's your opinion of them? Uh, I mean, they're hardcore. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think they're very un- I mean, unapologetic. I mean, they're it's it's. <laughs> I mean, we see somebody get a bullet in the cheek, and all the ramifications, physical and otherwise, in slow motion. I think that, that yeah, yeah, and people like thrown off, <laughs> yeah. you know, two story, two hundred stories, and you see them basically hit the pavement. <laughs> and um, I think the action in this movie is. At times, it's almost difficult because it, it, it just it lingers on stuff. I, I just remember rewatching this, and when the guy's hand uh, blows up, oh. I'm like, do I, re- do I remember that they actually show it? Because it, it blows up, and it's kind of out of frame, and then the camera just starts panning down. <laughs> and you're like, oh, they're going to show it. They're going to show the nub. And, and of course, because you know it's coming. As yeah. soon as he grabs the gun, you're like, oh, gosh. You just need to know how much of this individual is going to be blown up? Is it all of him or is it his whole arm? So at, at times I found the, the, the violence to be a lot to take in. And I think that's obviously intentional. Um, but 
again, I, I like the action in this movie. I sometimes wish there was like a little bit more. Um, it does stop and breathe every once in a while, but I, I kind of wish there was like maybe one more set piece. Um, cause they all, because of the scenery is so similar. It's all like center blocky. It's sometimes kind of hard to distinguish. The one that always stands out to me is the minigun one. Um, it's the and most of course, visual impressive. Yeah, and of course the first, is. like, I miss, like, being outside with the light. Like, that car chase at the very beginning is really nice because it's well lit and you can see what's going on. Um, you know, sometimes in the dark it, it gets a little bit difficult. But, yeah, I just kind of wish there's, like, maybe one more set piece to really kind of say, wow, that was fantastic. But I'm sure they didn't have the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, that's interesting because um, the minigun set piece, I, I my first impression when I saw this film was, I love the film, but it felt like the climax was in the middle of the film versus the end. Yeah, if you're making a montage of like classic action set pieces, the minigun is in it, not yes, the end of the correct. movie. Yeah, um, and then even the first time I saw it and you get, um, so the corrupt judges show up, right? So she calls 911 and she gets three other judges who are corrupt and are going to hunt down Dredd and Anderson. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, now we're going to really up the ante. But what ends up happening is um, they're dispatched actually rather quickly except for one sequence. Um and my initial reaction to that was, okay, didn't top the minigun. And so you get to the apex of the film, sort of in the middle of it, and you get this just fantastic sequence. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. There's violence there, but it, the concentration is really on action. Him avoiding them just tearing up that side of the building and then ending up being thrown outside of the building onto that skate ramp. I mean, the the execution and the editing is fantastic. Um and everything else has action. So think about that sequence where they break into the room and it goes slow motion and they're shooting everybody. And the concentration on that isn't so much as the action as it is the violence, right? So to your point, Brad, I, I do think um, you could look at it and say, yeah, they're missing something. Especially when you got three other judges right. you know, show up and they have all this technology. It should be you know, a little bit more pizzazz, right? Yeah. This time viewing it, I really appreciated the division between the action and the violence because I think those are two distinct things. Um, the violence makes the film almost horrific. I, I mean, it it I would even go so far to say is this is partly a horror film um, in that it is displaying some stuff that you know you might look at that and say, well, Eli Roth had a hand <laughs> in that one. Um, but the action sequences I think are really good in that they're methodical. And I, I love his little showdown with that one final judge where the judge, you know, he runs out of bullets and he's just starting to shoot through this wall. And there's this anticipation, like he has nowhere to go. He's going to get shot and he gets, he gets shot and you're like, Oh my God, th that's the end of it. And then, you know, he comes up to him he's going to put one in the head and he goes, wait, <laughs> and he goes through this long speed. I love how that plays out. Um, I would like that better, but they, they kind of then negate that 90 seconds later by like healing him up real quick. Um, I, that, that, that kind of cheapens it for me just a little bit. That was my, another note I had. It's just like, they shoot him and he's in danger, but 
a minute and a half later, they're in an elevator and he's getting patched up. And he's all fine. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. It kind of takes away from the, so it, it, from an emotional standpoint, maybe you have humanized him a little bit, but then from this physical perspective, it's like, he, he just got chopped, but then he's got this cool little thing where it literally per- yeah, just, and then it's all- yeah. Yeah. So I, I can see that. And you know, that's, that's a fair assessment. I, I, the first time I saw it, I remember when those other judges, judges came in, I was really excited for the, the guns that they have are freaking cool. So you've got all these different things that those guns can do. And I was really hoping for a, a really cool kind of showdown. And, and yeah, that it, it, it seems sort of anticlimactic when he throat punches the one and then just dispatches the other. Just, I think he shoots the head off the, the other one before, before Anderson comes in and, and saves him. But I, I can see that. That's a fair point. Yeah, I, I liked. I I don't know. I liked it. I I thought the the thing with action films is, and again, my personal opinion, you're always gonna get me if you get a great, unique, interesting environment, or you get an interesting setup. I mean, let let's let's talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, what's the most iconic action scene in there? He comes up against the guy with the uh, the sword, and then instead of going toe to toe with him, he just shoots him. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's unexpected. It, it's one of the most iconic moments that they always pull from that film. And I think this movie tries to replicate that a little bit by just saying you're going against these judges and at the end of the day, he runs out of bullets. That's not supposed to happen in an action film. You're supposed to have this big showdown. Yeah, Last Action Hero told me you don't run out of bullets. <laughs> yes, that's right, Brad. <laughs> um, and, you know, you get this sequence where Anderson comes up, you know, dispatches. And then when they finally get into Mama's territory at the top floor, they dispatch everybody just very methodical and that's how it should be, right? If you have judges who are going after thugs, that's exactly how it should end. And then when you get to the final showdown with Mama, um, you go, well, there's only one way this is going to end because he doesn't negotiate. And how he even comes up with the way to dispatch her, I thought, was just a fantastic mm-hmm. ending. So my initial reaction might have been like, man, they shortchanged you on the action. But if you go back on multiple viewings, I'm like... There's a conscientious choice to play the action out the way they do, um, and I think it's unique and original enough that it it separates it from all the other stuff that's out there. Is it is it is it time? I think it's time, Brett. Okay. So, Brett, you're our guest. We're gonna ask you. This this is the ultimate question. So, um, and it can go any way. Okay. It, it's either yes or no. Um, the it can go anyway, either yes or no. <laughs> yeah, either, either way. Anyway, but there's only two ways. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about this film. We've talked about the politics of the character. Oh, I do have one more question. Um, is there any satire in this film? Uh, I, I might be dumb, but I think I missed it. Yeah, I think it, I, I I certainly couldn't tell you one specific scene of satire or even – a satirical theme. I mean, but like, yeah, I, Troy. I'm with you. I, think, I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's a conscientious choice where they looked at this and said, you know, if Alex Garland's doing the screenplay, if it's in the screenplay and it just didn't make it in and they were going for just, Hey, let's use this character in its world for a straight, um, Mad Max with a badge post-apocalyptic, you know, cop film. Um, or if there was some type of, you know, statement on, you know, 
the social injustice and equities, how cops work versus, I don't think it's there in the film. I know it's there in the comics cause I'm, I'm reading it and I'm like, Oh, I, I see what you're doing here. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it translates into the film, but as a film with everything that we talked about, Brett is, is this a bomb? No, no. To me, this is not a bomb. Um, I, 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 I know I've hammered home a lot of points on this, on this podcast, but to me, you know, and this was another thing that I was going to finish with a bomb is something, and, and you guys might disagree with this. A bomb is something like, I don't know. And th- these may be, these are extreme examples, but even in 2012, I was going through that list of domestic, the box office, a film like cloud Atlas or a film like, I don't know, even like a Jupiter ascending or, or something <laughs> that's, and Carl Herman has said this. He said that this film didn't didn't fail because of the film itself. It failed because of the marketing of the film. A film like Jupiter Ascending was all of the marketing was was in your face. It was, and, and I think Dread really sets out what it accomplished. It, it accomplishes what it sets out to do. And I think that's a tr- I think that's sort of a tribute to Alex Garland because I think if you look at his other films, they they weren't necessarily box office smashes. Now they did better than, than Dread, but I, I wouldn't say that Alex Garland is a a, a a very commercially successful. I love him. I think he's incredibly incredibly talented, and I love his films. And I think he learned from one of the best in Danny Boyle. In fact, Sunshine was was probably my second answer when you all asked me at the very beginning of this show. For a, one of my favorite bombs, I I freaking love that film. I could talk about that and Chris Evans and all of that. But anyway, no, Dread okay. Dread is not a bomb. Cool. So Brett says not a bomb. Great answer too, Brett. I I I, I think that's a pretty comprehensive <laughs> view of the film. But let's turn it over to Brad. Brad is a pretty harsh critic here when it comes to the action films. I would 100% agree that this is not a bomb. I think this is one of the best action films made in the last 20 years. Um, and you can wow. definitely wow. you can definitely see its influence on things like John Wick. And um, unfortunately, I think – now I will say this. I think the raid is better. Uh, 100%, and that's just 100% agree. 100% agree. Okay. But – this is a different movie than The Raid, and I think now I have a little bit more appreciation because I understand the character a little bit more. And um, I always thought that this was a kind of a nihilistic view of what we want our police to turn into, and it's actually not that. It's <laughs> We're trying to play a cautionary tale of if your judge jury and executioner what that means and what we're doing to our freedom and our due process um so i think the character is way more complicated than what i originally thought the film has a few minor problems and i think they always stand out to me because the rest of the movie is so great um it shows its flaws a little bit um but yeah i think i think for you know a movie where you just get in and get started and go I always kind of appreciate those kind of action films. Um, you know, Mad Max Fury Road, like you have 10 minutes where, you know, Max is kind of captive and then you go. And right. I think this kind of follows that same kind of 
you know, you get a little action scene to go to begin with. You get a little pause and then you go. Um, I, that always is kind of like my favorite action movie is we're going to come in less than a hundred minutes and we're going to go, go, go. So I, I agree with both of you. Um, I don't know if I like, I can't put it, I can't do a comparison to this in the raid because I mean, if we're getting into the action films, I don't think you can compare these two outside of the story and plot. Um, the raid is a martial arts film. Um, it has a very specific kinetic feel, um, and it is designed to be something that dread is not dread, I think has a lot going on in it. Um, and to your point, Brad, the more, I mean, my first time watch was very much, this is a sleek, it's a, um, just efficient action film. Um, and it's up there with like Mad Max in terms of the, it's a simplistic plot. Let's concentrate on this point A to point B. Um, and let's, you know, make it exciting. But every time I watch this thing, I get something more out of it and knowing the character of dread a little bit more just from the research and really trying to study Carl Urban's performance in this and watching him transform from the beginning of the film to the end. There's a sequence where, um, you know, Dominell Gleason, they finally catch up with him and Anderson lets him go. And Carl Urban's character is like, what is going on? That That's not how it works. But after everything they've been through and then he even her explanation of why she made that decision and how confident she is. She's like, this is my assessment. I get to make the calls. I'm making the call because of this. If that character hadn't transformed and gone through that story arc then his reaction when asked, did she pass or fail, would have been a fail. Just for that alone. Not losing the gun and everything else, um, but just letting that one character go and not judging him, right? Which is what they're designed to do. So I appreciate this film the more that I watch it because you can separate the action from the violence and go, wow, the violence is really gruesome. It's very comic book-ish um, for a you know, graphic novel style. The action is methodic, it's lean, it's good, I think it's inventive. The performances, every performance in this film is fantastic. I can sit here and nitpick and go, ooh, I wish they had a little bit more world building like Stallone's movie did. But that that's not even a criticism. That's a different film. And that's not what you know Alex Garland or Pete Travis were trying to make with this film. They were making a lean action film. I don't know if there's any satire in this, but I do think that there is a statement about that draconian character. And um, it is fascinating to watch that story arc. And I, I would like to see where it goes, not just with Carl Urban, um, but with Olivia Thurlby too. Like I, to me, when I hear Carl Urban talk about dread, I'm especially after this watch, I almost want to go back to him and go, look, I'm sold on you being dread, but you have to bring Olivia back too. Like, I, I think your character works with her as a counter um, part to you. And I, I would, I would kind of refer back to RoboCop. I think what RoboCop gets right is also the Nancy Allen character um, that is his partner. So I don't think it's a bomb either. It, it's a long winded answer of saying okay. yeah. three for three, <laughs> three for three. That's awesome. Well, here's, here's the other exciting part, because we never know. We have a big list, and uh, Brett, um, you didn't add to the list because you picked Dread, and uh, I know you talked Sunshine. I think that's on our list, too, already, right, Brad? Yes, it is. Um, but the uh, when when we get into the 
odd picks. I believe that's you, right, Brad? That's me. Yes, and we have an odd number show coming up. So I'm kind of excited. Uh, are you sticking with the July action theme? I don't know how it happened, but July just became action movies. Are, are you still going that route? I am. I am. And we've actually talked about this movie is not on the list. It is a film from 2003. It is Ooh. an action thriller directed by the one and only William Freakin. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, starring Tommy Lee Jones yes. and Benicio Del Toro. It is The Hunted. Oh, the nice. Hunted. Wow. De- deep cut, Brad. Deep cut. <laughs> yes. You have um, two of one. I, I would consider two of the best actors out there, um, you know, especially from the 2000s. Um, William Friedkin. Brad, I, I got to ask you, what do you think of him as a director? I mean, uh, horror, thriller. Yeah. I mean, the guy's done everything. He's done it all. And I'm actually a big fan of The Hunted. I, uh, again, I. A lot of these, I think I would be a, a terrible person to have on because I'm going to have the same answer. Oh, any of these are bombs. Um, no, no. I just, it, you know, I think The Hunted does a lot of cool stuff. And I, I think Benicio Del Toro, if, if we're talking about characters that just just perfect for that role, just, if there's a way to overshadow Tommy Lee Jones, he does. And, and he's great, yeah. Good pick, Brad. Thank I, you. I'm applauding right now, man. That okay. that is fantastic. Well, Brad, let's go through all of the um, details. How does everybody like get a hold of us if they want to interact interact with us and even, yeah. give us more suggestions? Yeah, more suggestions, more feedback, anything like that. It's um, notabombpod at gmail.com. Uh, on Twitter, it's notabombpod. Um, I got to say, Troy, we got some download information and we are steadily growing so it is nice to know that we're not just (laughs) talking into uh to each other maybe some other people out there are listening so that's um, awesome well i hope let me let me find out who his name is again real quick if people are listening (laughs) um alex syacits it's s-a-y-a-s-i-t-s we got your book man the last action hero novelization it's in my hands right now. Um, it's in it's in Baltimore. It's gonna make its way to Indiana here very soon after I uh, after I read this. Uh, so you you know how to get us now, right? Yeah. God, William freaking directed Bug. I forgot that. Oh my! Oh. Is that uh, <laughs> is that Harry Harry Connick Jr. Ashley Judd and Ashley uh, Judd. Ashley Judd. And, uh, um, is that uh? Oh, um, what's his name from uh, Michael Shannon? Michael, Michael Shannon. Shannon. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh. wow. Well, that'll be an interesting conversation. Well, Brett, yeah. man, I, I got to tell you, um, I am so excited that everybody gets to hear you talk with us. I mean, we have the pleasure of talking with you on a regular <laughs> basis and texting, and just the fact that everybody gets to to interact with you in some fashion, I I think it's a huge gift. So I, I'm. I'm so happy you decided to come and join us tonight. No, guys, the, the pleasure is all on this end. It is super cool to be on the show, super cool to be able to talk what we love. And, and like, Troy, I think you said it best earlier. I, we want people to listen. It's a great listen when you do. But it's just fun for the three of us to sit here and talk. And if you guys ever do Ghost of Mars, I'll be your specialty <laughs> guest. Oh. <laughs> Oh my! Ghost of Mars. Gaunt, huh? Gauntlet's been thrown. Okay. Uh, that'll that'll probably right. that'll probably add to your listener count. Just to mention. Yeah. 
I uh, I kind of like that film, so we may have to add that to the list. Uh, I might have to be out sick that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, um, Brad, uh, I could not find the novelization for Dread. However, um, there is it if in, if a graphic anybody... novel, the novelization of Dread. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure there's comics of it, but if yeah. anybody's interested, I did find um, just in today doing research. There are um, sequel prequel comics um, to the film, so uh, if anybody wants to go down that rabbit hole, strongly encourage you to do so. And um, yeah, if, if you only know Dread from the films, especially this one, uh, I would encourage you all to go back and, and just take a sampling of the source material. It's pretty good stuff. Um, and I'm curious. I mean, we've we've at least found some type of social political angle to every film we've talked about so far. Even something like Coneheads, which kind of snuck up on us, yeah. and and Remo Williams, um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure the that. Hunted has some, because isn't he like a marine ex marine or something like that? I'm sure there's. I don't know. I I haven't seen it for. I I remember loving it. I saw it in the theater, and that's the last time I've seen it. So. Uh, that might have been the last time I saw it. Too. No, that's not true. I saw it in the theater, and then I think I saw it on DVD when it came out. So, um, I think you and I were talking for those who are wanting to play along. This one might be a little more difficult. Um, it's not readily available on Blu-ray, except if you want to buy it from Japan and it's like 75 bucks. The DVD, surprisingly, was pretty darn expensive. Like, what, $40 or something? Yeah, it's expensive. Um, it is available on some streaming services, I think, to rent or buy. Is that correct, Brad? Yeah, I'm looking it up on Just Watch. Um, the Hunted is available on... Looks like all the main streaming ones except for Apple. Yeah, so you can get it, you can rent it, you can buy it. So. Yes, and and yeah. please make sure you're looking for the William Freakin version. Uh, if you go searching for The Hunted, you might find a Christopher Lambert film out there. Um, there's a couple of other things with the same title. But if you want to play two, along. 2003. Want, 2003. Just, yep, if you want to play along, watch it, and then uh, listen to the show next week. So. Wait, I um, always called him Christopher Lambert. Lambert? It, Lambert? Yeah. Lambert? Eh, you know, maybe maybe we'll get one of his movies on. <laughs> He's made a few bombs. Um, Can we do Mortal Kombat? That wasn't a bomb, though. I know, but I just want to talk about that movie. <laughs> I'm well, sure maybe. that movie did. I'm sure that movie did not uh, review well. Okay, but we could probably save that one for like a, a bonus movie matchup or something. Okay. All right. Well, anything up, Brett? Anything else? you want to add to the conversation no you guys do an awesome job keep up the great work i'm going to keep listening thanks so much for having me on i look forward to being back all right you are definitely coming back in this has been fun brad wear uh wear a mask wear a mask that's right thanks everybody have a good evening or afternoon whenever you're listening and can't wait to talk at you later